0: Hello oh, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of Career.com. Today we are talking about Choices, Season 3, Episode 19 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In particular, I'll talk about comic moments early in the episode that in a way hide that they are foreshadowing key plot developments. An unusual and interesting blurring of the last major plot turn, the climax, and the falling action sections of the story. Thematic bookends and a main plot that doesn't change the Buffy-Mayor overall conflict, but does move multiple long-form story and character arcs. As always, there will be no spoilers, except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Choices aired the first time on May 4, 1999. It was written by David Fury and directed by James A. Contner. Our opening conflict starts in the mayor's office. Faith sits in a chair with her eyes closed, a present in front of her. When she opens her eyes, she is thrilled. We get the impression she rarely got any presents in her life. The mayor says there's no special occasion, but he does want her to run an errand. That includes meeting someone at the airport. When Faith jokes about what's next, he wants her to help a buddy move a sofa. He becomes irritated and half-seriously threatens to take the present away. Faith immediately apologizes, all is well, and the mayor gives her chocolate chip cookies. He tells her a package is coming in from Central America, and it's crucial to his ascension. He then urges her to open her gift. She loves it. It is a large knife with twin blades and handles, like a scissors. She tells him it's a thing of beauty, and he tells her to be careful not to put someone's eye out with that thing until he tells her to. Faith says any particular eyes in mind, and we cut to Buffy. So that opening conflict does relate directly to our main plot, or at least one aspect of it, which is the Box of Gavrock angel and buffy together fight a vampire and after they have killed the vampire they have a conversation that is half serious half joking and buffy says do you get the feeling that we're kind of in a rut you never take me any place new he tells her uh what about that fire demon nest in the cave by the beach i thought that was a nice change of pace And Buffy says, so this is our future? This is how we're going to spend our nights when I'm 50 and you're the same age you are now? Another vampire attacks. Angel says, let's just get you to 50. And Buffy responds, like in that plan. And we go to credits. We're 2 minutes 51 seconds in. Buffy sits at the kitchen table and Joyce says, Buffy, when were you going to tell me? Buffy starts to take out her earrings, saying she didn't think Joyce would notice that she borrowed them, but it turns out that's not what her mom is talking about. Joyce says, you got into Northwestern University? Honey, I'm so proud of you. That's wonderful. This was really fun for me because Northwestern is pretty close to where I live, and I remember in high school, getting into Northwestern was a huge deal. Buffy agrees with her mom that it's wonderful but she sounds hesitant. Joyce who is so excited doesn't notice that and she goes on about how it's not cheap but she knows they can make it work if Buffy's father pitches in. So we're now four minutes 18 seconds in right about where we usually see the story spark or inciting incident that gets our main plot rolling. It typically happens about 10% through, and we get that right around here. Buffy says, "'Mom, you know that I can't.'" And then she sees how excited Joyce looks and changes what she was going to say to, I just can't decide on a school right now. I want to sleep on it. Avoiding saying that she's the slayer and she can't go away to school. Joyce again says how happy she is that Buffy has so many choices. So we get our first reference to the episode's title. And she says she's going to call Buffy's aunt who lives in Illinois to tell her. Um, And then Joyce says, and Buffy... And Buffy says, I know you're proud of me. But Joyce responds, "Uh, don't forget to put my earrings back in my dresser before you go out. So I see this as the story spark because this is where it really hits Buffy that she does need to make a choice, that there are options for her. And it's the first time I see her as considering the possibility because in not wanting to point out reality to her mom in a way she is opening this space for herself and I think that this prompts her later decision to take the fight to the mayor. For now we switch to some students at a picnic table outside the school. Principal Snyder talks over and demands to know what one of them has in a paper bag and he seems almost disappointed when he opens the bag and it really is the students' lunch. This is one of those moments that seems like it is just there to be some comic relief, but it sets up what will happen in the climax. Willow, Buffy, and Oz are also sitting at a picnic table while Xander reads, Sitting Under a Tree. And Willow says it sounds like Buffy's mom is in a state of denial. So this is one of those moments I love where we come in in the midst of a conversation, but we know right away what Willow's talking about and we didn't have to have Buffy repeat repeat her conversation with her mother, which we as viewers already saw. And this is part of what keeps this episode, as with so many Buffy episodes, um, so tightly written and moving quickly. In response to the state of denial comment, Buffy says, more like a continent. She just has to realize that I can't go away. Willow tries to reassure Buffy, says maybe soon she can leave, but Buffy says Faith's turn to the dark side put the kibosh on Buffy going away to school, but there is UC Sunnydale and at least she got in. And I can't help commenting on uh, how much Sunnydale just keeps expanding. Last year, it got an airport now it has a university and I know I know I guess those were already there but I'm pretty sure in season one Sunnydale was smaller Buffy's excited for Willow though that Willow got into among many other universities Oxford and Buffy says that's where they make Giles is, And Willow agrees she can learn and have scones. Xander says the whole country is his university, and On the Road by Jack Kerouac is his Bible. He's going to drive through the country for the summer. That will be his education. And he calls himself a bohemian who is making an anti-establishment choice. So again, we have this idea of choice, and my sense is, yes, Xander is making this choice to do something that will give him a new experience at the same time you get the idea, um, informed by previous episodes, that college is not a viable option for him, unlike for his friends. From what he said, he did not expect to get the kind of scholarships that Willow might get, and probably he can't afford to go without that. Cordelia walks up during this discussion, and she and Xander trade insults, and she expands the insults to Willow when Xander brags about her college acceptances. Cordelia says Oxford. whoopee four years in teabag central sounds thrilling and MIT is a clear ad with housing Yale is the dumping ground for those who didn't get into Harvard and Willow says I got into Harvard Cordelia and Xander continue to spar and Buffy says hey you guys Don't forget to breathe between insults. Cordelia turns to Buffy and says, I'm sorry, Buffy. This conversation is reserved for those who actually have a future. This is one of those moments that relates to the long-form storytelling. I will get to that in the spoilers. At 7 minutes 33 seconds in, we see the effects of Buffy's conversation with her mother and this conversation with her friend because even though she said her mom needs to accept that Buffy can't go away Buffy now tells Wesley in the library that she wants to go away to college he is shocked and says but you're a slayer Buffy tells him he can't just define her by her slayerness that's somethingism Giles tends to agree with Wesley until he hears that Buffy got into Northwestern and he says he is proud of her. But Wesley forbids her leaving Sunnydale by the power vested in him by the Watcher's council. And Giles says, oh yes, that should settle it. But Wesley points out with Faith gone bad and the mayor's ascension coming, they can't have a slayer gone. Buffy argues what if she stops the ascension and captures Faith? Then she can come home every vacation and summer. And in between, Wesley and Giles can keep the ordinary run-of-the-mill vamps and demons at bay. All of this and all the previous scenes has so often in Buffy do a great job of bringing in that exposition, the information a new viewer might need or ongoing viewers might want reminders of through these character-based conflicts. Wesley now says, no, it is too reckless. Buffy says she's tired of waiting for the mayor to make a move. She wants to take the fight to him. And I love that we have seen Buffy go back and forth on whether she can go away to school. It's very human, and I feel like it's very much the way most of us make decisions, even perhaps as we are articulating one position We are questioning it internally and sometimes come around to a different way of thinking, or at least we want to explore it as Buffy does. Wesley says it's too reckless to take the fight to the mayor. They don't know enough about the ascension. Giles, on the other hand, says Buffy is right. Time is running out. They need to know more and what is Buffy's plan. And she responds, I got to have a plan? Really? I can't just be proactive with PEP? Giles suggests the first step is figuring out what the mayor and Faith are up to. And Buffy says, oh, I actually knew that. I thought you meant a more specific plan, you know, like with maps and stuff. Great. We'll find out what they're up to. This also sets up nicely a little moment later where we do actually see maps and stuff. There is a scene change to a small plane landing at the airport. A man or a demon with a tattoo on his forehead and a large box handcuffed to his wrists gets out of the plane. A vampire meets him with a town car but the man won't turn over the box. He says the mayor was supposed to meet him personally with the money, and now the price just went up. From afar, Faith uses a bow and arrow and shoots and kills the man. Faith comes over, but they cannot find the keys to the cuffs, and she pulls out her knife. The vampire says, that won't cut through steel. Faith says, No, but it'll cut through bone. And she drops down out of the frame and the scene cuts. This is a small moment, but shows a lot about where Faith is. Back when she accidentally killed Alan, the deputy mayor, she seemed to be struggling with all these emotions. And now she killed this guy and she seems perfectly fine with cutting through his limbs to get this box. We're now approaching the one quarter point in the episode. Usually here we see a major plot turn that spins the story in a new direction comes from outside the protagonist and raises the stakes. So we're at 11 minutes, 22 seconds in, and that big town car the vampire was driving pulls in front of City Hall. Buffy, hiding in the bushes, watches Faith take the box inside and this does spin the story though it's not obvious right away but it takes us in the direction of Buffy's first step in taking the fight to the mayor. She will need to find out what the box is about, why it's important and ultimately try to steal it from him. What's interesting is this is from outside the protagonist in the sense that this box coming into town and Faith getting it isn't something that Buffy set in motion, but it is a choice of Buffy's to take the fight to the mayor that puts her in that spot to even find out about the box. And usually we see this kind of choice, this throwing caution to the wind, at the midpoint of the episode. So I love that here, even that first one quarter turn is driven by Buffy's choice, which of course fits the episode title and theme. In the mayor's office, He asks Faith what happened to the courier the mayor was supposed to pay him. Faith takes the envelope of cash from the mayor's hand and says she made the courier an offer he couldn't survive. The mayor laughs. He loves her initiative and skill. He's clearly delighted and he goes on to say that if Buffy Summers walked in and said she wanted to switch sides, he'd tell her no thanks. He has all the slayer one man could ever need. Faith, who was thrilled, a moment ago looks sulky. The mayor notices and says, oh, it's because I used the B word, huh? Don't tell me you're still sore about that whole angel Buffy thing. Faith says she's over it. Buffy can have him. Another nice quick moment of exposition through conflict. And the mayor tells Faith Buffy deserves that poor excuse for a creature of the night, but Faith can do better. In previous watchings, I always thought the mayor said this just to make Faith feel better. But as I prepared my outline for the recording today, it hit me that given the mayor's speech at the end, he really means this. He does not think Angel would be a good choice for Faith, though he does try to tweak Angel about Faith later. Faith, curious, starts to open this box and the mayor slams it shut and says, don't do that. Outside, the town car is parked. Buffy punches through a window, grabs the vampire, and cheerfully says, so what's in the box? We cut to the library. Buffy is reading from uh, an ancient volume, and she tells the others that it is the Box of Gavrock. It houses great demonic energy or something that the mayor needs to chow down on on graduation day. Willow comes in with uh, maps and stuff, all these documents that include a large map of City Hall. Our friends gather round it as it's rolled out on the table, and Buffy points out where the box of Gavrock is being kept in a conference room on the top floor. The gang goes through the various entrances, exits, who will be where. They cut off Wesley more than once when he tries to ask a question or raise an issue, and they talk about how they need to destroy this box. Giles tells Xander to go get the ingredients from the magic shop, and Wesley yells, stop! in this very high-pitched voice that is funny and i enjoy so much that alexis denisov who plays wesley is not afraid to let wesley seem a little goofy though this isn't a comic moment it also reflects wesley's growing frustration he says he's running this meeting which is a nice callback to enemies cordelia made that same point in a library meeting and then Wesley didn't mind so much that other people were taking over. But now that it is this plan to break into City Hall, he is, I think, uncomfortable with uh, his his lack of leadership. It is wearing on him. So now he points out there will be spells guarding the box. Did no one think about that? Buffy says, looks like a job for Wiccan girl. What do you say, Will? Big time danger. And Willow responds, hey, I eat danger for breakfast. Xander comments, but oddly enough, she panics in the face of breakfast foods and they all go their separate ways. This is the first of at least two instances where despite how serious this is, our friends treat it uh, somewhat casually, joking around. And yes, they have always joked in the face of danger, but I think this, this lightness about it does foreshadow some of the problems that they will have. Sander, as he's walking, to the magic shop, sees Cordelia inside an upscale dress shop. He goes in and tells her his theory about her snide remarks is that she didn't get into any of the colleges she wanted. Yeah, she probably had the grades, but she couldn't pass the interview. They already had their quota of mean girls. Cordelia tells him not only that he's wrong, but he's as stupid as he looks. And she shows him her acceptance letters, which she. apparently is carrying around and slaps them down one after the other naming the schools Xander concedes these are good schools and assumes it was her father's money that got her in and she tells him to go away we're at 16 minutes 37 seconds in Wesley and Giles driving a panel van drop off Willow, Angel, and Buffy no one has watches on when Wesley says they should synchronize them. And Willow jokes about they could count one 1000, two 1000, highlighting the lightness of it. And it makes the shift in tone that is coming so much more striking and have so much more impact, which I guess is two ways of saying the same thing. Xander and Oz are back at the library with the ingredients for the spell to destroy the box, mixing them in this giant urn, and they talk about the need to get it just right. But Willow left detailed instructions, and Xander says, wow, she even drew helpful diagrams. Oz points out how they can tell who is Xander and who is Oz, because the Oz stick figure is holding a guitar. Xander is even more impressed, and Oz says, yeah, nobody like my Will, Xander responds, no, sir, there is not. This is such a nice moment between them. It shows us that they are past the awkwardness and there's this lovely camaraderie. And on first watch, I thought it was there just to show us that, but it lays the foundation for Oz's actions later when Willow's life is at risk. So this is an example of one of those moments in the episode where this character work is done so well and the writing is so Tight. We get that quick moment and it sets us up for later. The next scene is at City Hall. Angel, Buffy, and Willow are on the roof looking down through a skylight. The plan is Willow will do the spell to get rid of any charms guarding the box. Angel will lower Buffy down in a harness from above. She'll grab the box and be lifted out before any alarms go off or at least lifted out and they can run away before anyone gets to the conference room. It works to a point. Willow does this. Spells and Buffy tells Willow to get going. Willow takes off. Angel lowers Buffy in this harness. She grabs the box as she's hanging suspended in midair. The alarm rings right away but when Angel tries to reel her back up the gears get stuck. Two vampires come in as Buffy is suspended there. She starts fighting. Angel drops down and joins in. This is a great fight scene, one of my favorites. Buffy and Angel both use the box to hit the vamps and to confuse them. They throw chairs. There is plenty of property, destruction, and eventually they tip over this heavy wooden conference room table on the two vampires and run out with the box. The vampires do follow, but when they get outside, they see a van squeal away. And earlier, Giles said something about um, they would create a distraction if needed so the vamps chase the van and Buffy and Angel who were hiding are able to leave the other way with the box. We're now reaching the midpoint of the episode and here usually we see a commitment by the protagonist or see the protagonist suffer a major reversal. And we could see the commitment as being going in and getting that box breaking in and a minor reversal as the moment when Buffy is suspended and stuck and the alarm goes off. But we are building to something so much greater. If you are finding this podcast helpful and you want to learn more about story structure or are looking for information about writing or publishing, you can check out the articles on writingasasecondcareer.com. You can also find free story structure worksheets there or through the link in the show notes. The mayor comes into the conference room at 21 minutes 30 seconds in, and it. First, he seems like he takes this better than we expected. He says in a only slightly irked voice that this is unfortunate. He talks about the conference room being ruined and how much it costs to redo it at taxpayer expense. But then he yells and punches the wall and says they've got his box. Faith walks in the door and says, yeah, they do. But looky what we've got. And she is holding Willow a knife at Willow's throat, and this is at 22 minutes in. So this is the major reversal, and it came out of Buffy's choice to take the fight to the mayor. So again, a slightly different story structure in the sense that we earlier saw this commitment by Buffy, and the consequence is that her best friend's life is in danger. At the library, Buffy says, how did you guys let this, how did this happen? And Giles says they thought Willow stayed with Buffy and Angel. So it sounds like Willow was supposed to get to the van with Giles and Wesley, and she didn't. Angel apologizes. He says that uh, the mayor's henchman must have grabbed Willow when she hit the ground. Xander says they should go back, but Giles says they'll kill Willow. And Wesley points out that the mayor might already have done that, but Buffy says no. Willow is too valuable as long as Buffy has the box. And that's when it hits her that they can trade. Wesley argues vehemently against it. He says thousands of lives are on the line and the mayor needs the box to ascend. So they have to destroy it and they just need to find a different way to save Willow's life. Buffy says there is no other way. Everyone's tempers are frayed. Wesley says Buffy's the one who wanted to take the fight to the mayor. And then he makes the mistake of bringing up Buffy's desire to leave Sunnydale and that stopping the Ascension is her way out. She can't believe that he thinks that matters to her with Willow's life on the line. Giles tries to bring the volume down and Buffy takes it as him being on Wesley's side. Everyone is yelling until Oz goes to the pedestal with the urn on it and puts all his weight into it and knocks it off the pedestal. It flies across the room and breaks. He nods at one person and then another and then at the shattered urn and Buffy says Giles make the phone call At City Hall, Willow is locked in what looks like a back office slash storage room. She pushes at the locked door. She goes through the desk drawers looking for weapons. One drawer falls out, but all it has is a few pencils. A vampire comes in to see what she's doing and comes way too close to her. And Willow says, hey, did you get permission to eat the hostage? I don't think so. You're going to be in some trouble when the mayor and the vamp says, just a little taste. I love that Willow is doing all she can here. First, she's hunting for a way out, then for weapons, and then she uses logic and names the only reason that might work on the vampire. She is really amazing and then does something even more amazing because suddenly the vampire dusts and we see that she floated a pencil like she did back in doppelganger land and staked the vampire with it. So remember how it flew into that tree with surprising force and that set up this moment. Willow runs from the room, and then she creeps through the halls at City Hall, but has to duck into another open room when she hears Faith and the mayor talking. Willow is in the mayor's office. She shuts the door, opens his armoire, which is full of those creepy mystical objects, and she finds the Books of Ascension. We see her sitting on the floor, paging through them. Uh, The shot fades and shifts into another one of her looking at different volumes and another, until Faith enters and says, check out the bookworm. She grabs Willow, and she comments, anybody with brains, Anybody who knew what was going to happen to her would be trying to claw her way out of this place. But you, you just can't stop Nancy Drewing, can you? This is an example of pointing out what could be a flaw in the story and uh, having another character articulate a question the audience has, which is why didn't Willow, instead of looking through these books, find a way out? My guess is that Willow wanted to contribute with more than spells. She didn't just want to be rescued. She wanted to help stop the ascension. And I have another idea uh, about why Willow doesn't leave, which I'll get to in the spoilers. I used to think that this episode in, in itself never answered why Willow doesn't leave, but now I think that it is answered in the falling action. Regardless though, any of the reasons Willow might have, I do feel like a little more forethought would have suggested to her it was better to get out because she had to know the team would wanna trade the box for her. Faith is threatening Willow and she tries to talk her way out of it she says, wait, she wants to talk with Faith, and Faith responds with sarcasm, I'm sure, give her the speech again, how it doesn't have to be this way, it's not too late, and then Willow surprises her and says, it's way too late. Faith, who was smiling uh, as she mocked Willow, her face just falls and We can see she wanted Willow to ask her again, to tell her it wasn't too late. I feel like Faith doesn't want the group to give up on her, much as in the previous episodes, she was upset in Enemies that everyone found out she was on the mayor's side. Faith really deeply wants to have it both ways. She wants the mayor's love, his support, his encouragement. But there's a big part of her that still wanted to be on Buffy's side and have those friendships. Willow goes right to the heart of that and says Faith made her choices. So we have choices again. And she goes on that some people say Faith had a lot of bad breaks. Well, boo hoo. Faith had more than a lot of people, including that she had Buffy as a friend. And now she has no one willow tells her she was a slayer and now she's nothing a big selfish worthless waste which also makes me wonder if willow is trying to get faith to kill her so that there can't be an exchange faith punches willow hard enough to knock her to the floor and says you hurt me i hurt you i'm just a little more efficient and willow responds and here i thought you just didn't have a comeback So this, too, shows us Faith cares what Willow thinks. She cares what the Scoobies think. Willow now says she's not afraid of Faith, but Faith pulls that knife and threatens her with it. And Willow looks afraid, as any of us would be. But the mayor intervenes. He says he got an interesting call, and he has to tell Faith twice to leave Willow alone. And Faith says to Willow, I got someone. I got him. At 29 minutes in, Giles is in the deserted cafeteria in the dark with Buffy and her friends and Wesley it's all locked except for one door which makes Xander feel nervous and trapped but Buffy says one way out one way in she wants to see them coming the lights go out Mayor and Faith enter Faith has the knife at Willow's neck and they have a couple vampires with them the Mayor and Buffy walk toward one another and the Mayor says well this is exciting isn't it he laughs Clandestine meetings by the dark of night, exchange of prisoners. I feel like we should all be wearing trench coats. He refuses to let Willow go until the box is in his hand. He also looks at Buffy... And says, so this is the little girl who's been causing all the trouble. And he tells Angel that Buffy is pretty, if a little skinny. And then says, I still don't understand why it couldn't work out with you and my Faith. He adds that Angel must just have strange taste in women. And Angel says, yeah, well, what can I say? I like him sane. Faith jerks the knife closer to Willow's neck and Oz says, Angel. The mayor gives Angel some fatherly advice. He says he doesn't see a lasting relationship between him and Buffy. When Buffy says they don't need to talk about that, the mayor tells her to respect her elders. And Angel points out the mayor is not his elder. Angel is older than the mayor. But the mayor says that's only one thing Angel and Buffy will have to deal with. And then he gives kind of a great speech here. So I'm, I'm going, to read all of it, he says, you're immortal. She's not. It's not easy. I married my Edna May in opt three and I was with her right until the end not a pretty picture, wrinkled and senile and cursing me for my youth. It wasn't our happiest time. And let's not forget the fact that any moment of true happiness will turn you evil. I mean, come on, what kind of life can you offer her? I don't see a lot of Sunday picnics in the offing. I see skulking in the shadows, hiding from the sun. She's a blossoming young girl and you want to keep her from the life she should have until it's passed her by. And by God, I think that's a little selfish. Is Is that what you came back from hell for is that your greater purpose the mayor says this very seriously and maybe he's doing it to try to undermine buffy and angel emotionally to demoralize them for the fight to come but it seems like a genuine take on how he sees angel i feel like he is expressing a sense of disappointment in angel's choices The two groups inch toward one another. Faith pushes Willow towards her friends as a vampire takes the box of Gavrock. Our last major plot turn, the three-quarter turn, typically grows from our midpoint reversal or from the protagonist's choice at the midpoint and spins the story in another new direction. So I see this next Moment when Principal Snyder comes in with the cops as the three quarter turn. It is at 32 minutes 39 seconds in. And it does grow here from the reversal at the midpoint from Willow being captured, which leads to this midnight meeting and to Snyder being suspicious about what is going on at the school. What is different? In this structure is it very quickly, normally almost the last quarter of the episode is dealing with that turn. Here, Snyder's entrance will prompt what happens when we get that fallout of the outside world intruding on this this deal, this exchange, but it very quickly will move into the climax Snyder comes in, he says, Nobody move, and he accuses them all of doing drugs. So that moment that seemed merely comic before sets up what otherwise would seem random. Snyder coming in at this moment, but we know he is very concerned about drugs. He is very alert to goings on in the school. He was accosting students who were just sitting there eating lunch. So it is believable that he is thinking drug dealers might be there at night he takes the box from Faith he gives it to one of the cops Faith pulls her knife Buffy intervenes or at least she steps forward to tell Snyder to stay out of things and then the mayor comes forward out of the shadows to stop this and says what must Principal Snyder think Snyder apologizes Faith still has that knife at his chin but a cop opens the box and the mayor yells at him not to but it is too late this giant uh, black creature sort of a uh, mix between a bug uh, i was going to say a bug and a spider i guess a spider is a, a bug but it's it's almost like this giant spider anyway it is very creepy it's black it has all these uh, claws and it latches onto the cop's face he screams and we cut to a commercial we come back and we're at 33 minutes 25 seconds in so we are early for a climax, which we usually see more around 37 minutes in. And our episodes are about 43 minutes. So we're at the same scene, same moment. This creature has killed the cop and it skitters away and the room is dark so we don't see where it went. And the cop is dead. Snyder wants to open the doors and get out, but Giles yells, no, they they can't do that. They don't know where this creature went. They can't let it out in into the rest of the school. And now it drops onto the mayor. And he, too, his face gets all cut up like the cops did, but then he heals, and that freaks out Snyder. Another of these creatures gets out. Buffy slams the box shut, and it attacks her. She and Angel fight it off. Either that same creature or another one climbs the wall. Faith throws her knife at it and pins it to the wall, killing it. Uh, It went right over, I want to say, Wesley's head, maybe. The mayor grabs the box. He tells them there are about 50 billion of those creatures in there and raise your hand if you're invulnerable. He then tells Faith they need to go. She hesitates looking at that knife that was a present from him. It is embedded in the wall beyond the group of Buffy and her friends. She does not want to go through them to get it and the mayor is urging her to leave. They finally do and Buffy says, Snyder, you alive in there? And Snyder says, you, all of you why couldn't you be doing drugs like normal people as I mentioned we could see that last scene as the climax the climax is where opposing forces have their final and sometimes epic clash and resolve the issues one way or another, although sometimes that could be living to fight another day. Here, you could see the previous prisoner exchange as a climax because it was Buffy and the mayor facing off, coming out of her plot to take the fight to the mayor and resolving that. But because we have that turn with Snyder, Coming in, I think it it has to be that next scene where essentially Buffy is still fighting the mayor. Yes, she's fighting those creatures, but it's it's the box that he needs for his ascension. So she is fighting the forces of evil that are aligned with the mayor. However, we could also see the next scene as the climax because the plot here was not specifically the box. It was Buffy wanting to push the issue, take the fight to the mayor, learn more about the Ascension, but also be able to leave Sunnydale. So this next scene in a way brings to fruition the plot about taking the fight to the mayor. Today we have some listener comments. Roberta sent me a comment about enemies. That was the episode where Buffy and Angel and Giles did a fake out of Faith, letting her think that she had turned Angel evil again. And Roberta commented right after the episode, but because of my recording schedule and taking a break, I didn't get a chance to include it until now. And I had commented on part of why I was troubled by some aspects of the episode were that I couldn't quite see how the chronology worked, that Giles just apparently happened to know the demon that the mayor called and the demon told Giles. Of, his, of this plot to take Angel's soul, I wasn't quite sure the timing fit, and I, I just didn't love that part of the episode, despite that overall, the emotions worked so well in it. And Roberta commented uh, generally on some other books and stories that had these types of twists, but about enemies, she said, enemies is one episode I never had a problem with. The fake outs were so emotionally devastating. The series of perfect coincidences required to make it happen never bothered me. You're not wrong, but to me, this episode is sort of the climax of the season. I guess the midpoint climax. It's everything that works about the season in terms of the emotional content. So I love, Roberta, this insight because you're right, the emotions work so well here and I feel like if I could remember how this hit me emotionally when I first saw it I might have a slightly different view about it. I'm sure the first time around I did think that Angel had become evil again because I believe all the fans were fearing that just as Buffy must have been fearing it. I also had not thought about this episode being a sort of midpoint of the season as a whole but I love that idea because it is a major reversal for Buffy despite that it turns out Angel is not evil this drives so much of the rest of the season so much of what happens with their relationship and the reversal of this is where she loses Faith. And despite that they have had conflicts to this point, that is a significant loss for Buffy. I I think she so valued and needed that closeness with another slayer. And she believed in faith. And it was devastating to her to find out not just that Faith was against her or with the mayor, but how Faith felt about her when Buffy comments uh, at she never knew how angry Faith was, how much hate Faith had. That, too, is devastating. So that works as a midpoint reversal for the season for Buffy. My other comment is about Earshot, the one with Jonathan and uh, the plot to take out so many people in the high school and Buffy gaining that mind reading power. Steve commented, he said, I agree with you that I originally thought the episode was gimmicky with luck and misdirection, but now after listening to you I can see how it actually makes sense. In fact until now I didn't even realize why the editor was hiding from Oz. So that was the newspaper editor who was our red herring who was always missing and was the only one that when all our friends were going around trying to ask questions the only one that no one could find. So Steve, I love that listening to the episode, the podcast, helped you see how those pieces fit together. So thank you to both of you for your comments. Um, if you have comments about anything Buffy, all things Buffy, please let me know. And particularly, I will be recording in another week or two the season three roundup episode and I would love to share your thoughts about season three please let me know I have some thoughts already from some patrons and listeners I would love to share yours as well so please either email me lisa at lisa and include a subject line buffy story or find me on twitter at lisa m marie lily l i hashtag buffy story Also, I am working on setting up a Buffy in the Art of Story Facebook page because I just need one more thing to do. It may be by the time that you hear this or you're commenting, you may be able to find that on Facebook. Willow and Buffy are sitting in the library. Willow tells Buffy about how she told off Faith and uh, Buffy's clearly proud of Willow standing up for herself. And Giles says, yes, this is fascinating, but let's get back to the point. And he asks about the books of Ascension because Willow had her hands on them. And Willow sort of draws out the story, says it got kind of involved. It was hard to understand all of it. But then she reveals that she took some of the pages and hands them to Giles. He is quite pleased and Buffy says this is your night for suave will you should get captured more often Wesley though uh, punctures their excitement saying he hopes there's something useful the mayor has the box of Gavrock and they are all back where they started so I, I don't think this could really be the climax because in this scene Buffy is not confronting or fighting against the forces of evil it is more she is learning what the result is of willows being captured so I think that that really is part of the falling action which is where we resolve subplots and tie up loose ends the next scene resolves I guess what I'll call Buffy's emotional subplot of wanting to get out of Sunnydale that then impelled her to try to take the fight to the mayor we've resolved the main plot of taking the fight to the mayor and now we are wrapping up this subplot this struggle between her duties as the slayer and the choices she has as a um, young woman about to graduate high school it's 37 minutes 42 seconds in which is more where we often see a climax Buffy is under the trees in front of school Willow joins her and Buffy says she's never getting out of Sunnydale she kept thinking if she stopped the mayor but she was kidding herself and she says I'm Sunnydale girl no other choice And Willow says it must be tough. And she talks about how here she is with all these options, including to go to school in other countries. And Buffy says, please tell me you're going somewhere with this. But Willow says, nope, she's not going anywhere. She'll be going to UC Sunnydale. And says, say, isn't that where you're going? Buffy is so excited. She hugs Willow. They laugh and fall on the ground, rolling among the leaves together. But then she gets serious. They both sit up and she says she can't let Willow do that. To which Willow responds, of the two people here, which of us is the boss of me? But Buffy argues there are better and safer schools. Willow, though, says Sunnydale is not bad and she can design her own curriculum, but more important, it's not about Buffy. And this is where I think we do get a sort of answer of why Willow didn't just leave City Hall. She says that being captured, facing off off with Faith, things got clear and she says I mean you've been fighting evil here for three years and I've helped some and now we're supposed to decide what we want to do with our lives and I just realized that's what I want to do fight evil help people I mean I think it's worth doing and I don't think you do it because you have to it's a good fight Buffy and I want in Buffy says I kind of love you Willow also adds that besides, she has a shot at being a badass Wicca. And where could be better to do that than Sunnydale? Buffy feels the need for more sugar than the human body can handle. And Willow says, mochas? And Buffy responds, yes, please. And they walk across the grounds. And then there are a couple lines... I don't quite understand. Buffy says, it's weird. You look at something and you think you know exactly what you're seeing, and then you find out it's something else entirely. And she is looking at Willow and Willow says, neat, huh? And Buffy says, sometimes it is. I guess this is supposed to mean that Buffy never saw Willow as wanting to be part of the fight on her own. And the thing is, I I just don't buy this about Buffy. It feels to me more like a forced segue to the next scene and a way to tie together a lot of this falling action and and maybe add a theme to the episode. We cut to Cordelia. We're at 40 minutes, seven seconds in. She is in the dress shop holding a sparkly dress in front of her and looking at herself in the mirror. The manager comes downstairs and asks what she's doing. Her break is over. She needs to restock the shelves and sweep out the storage room. Cordelia, looking sad, puts the dress back on the rack. So we don't have specifics on what's going on with Cordelia in the sense of we don't know why she's working at the dress shop but this is a pretty big revelation and it does fit a sort of theme that Cordelia's life is something else entirely from what Xander thinks and the other people around her think. Now we are with Angel and Buffy in the graveyard. She tells Angel she and Willow are going to go look at the Sunnydale campus. It'll be fun. She's hoping her mom will let her live there but either way she'll be close to his place. The conversation segues into what the mayor said to them. Buffy claims she doesn't know what the mayor was talking about. She's sure he is wrong and she says how could he know anything about us? Probably the only lasting relationship he's ever had was with evil and she's She's clearly in denial here because she completely ignores his comments about his Edna May, which was the linchpin of his speech. Maybe she thinks that he just made that up, but the fact that she doesn't mention it suggests she's deliberately ignoring it Uh, and she does know they found out at the city hall that the mayor has lived a very very long time but Buffy says she and Angel will be okay Angel responds we will but they both look sad and the episode ends and this is an example of a thematic bookend in the episode bookends are where we start and and either with the same type of scene or plot development And here there is this theme of Buffy and Angel and the future of their relationship we start and end with them in the graveyard in terms of when we first see Buffy the protagonist and she says that thing about you know is this what their life will be like when she's 50 and he's and then she realizes he's the same age that he is now I mean yeah he will be older but he will look the same he will not age in the way that humans think about it which is exactly what the mayor pinpointed so that is the end of our episode overall i feel like it is so tightly written we have all those moments that fit so well together cue us that other things are happening and it is such an interesting structure because we do see these major plot turns up through the three-quarter point pretty much where we expect them although a little bit different a little more active on buffy's part but then we get that last major plot turn climax and falling action which all sort of blur together. It's hard to pick out exactly where each one is. And while sometimes I feel like that would make for an unsatisfying ending, here it it works for me. Also, this episode In a way, like Earshot, if we call the main plot The Box of Gavrock, Take the Fight to the Mayor, we could almost lift it out and it would not make a difference to the season arc because we do, as Wesley says, basically end where we started. But this episode is so key to the longer story arcs and character arcs. Faith's growing relationship with the mayor and greater descent into darkness, more trouble holding herself back from hurting or from killing Willow that using the knife to cut bone Cordelia's increasing anger and bitterness and that hint to what's behind it the challenges of Buffy's and Angel's relationship really coming out forcing them to contemplate them and Willow's growing into a stronger and stronger ally for Buffy and Wesley's feeling more and more that he is not in charge and he he is somewhat panicked about that all these things and this is where I see the show has been moving more and more towards the long-form storytelling being more important than any particular episode and and we really see that in here so a little bit more in the spoilers about a couple of those things i hope you will stick around for that if not thank you so much for listening and i hope you will come back next monday for the prom where hellhounds are ready to terrorize the school we are back for spoilers. Cordelia in the dress shop. Uh, next episode, we'll find out why she is working there. It is to pay for her prom dress. But more important, we will see that her dad was engaged in criminal tax evasion, and Cordelia has nothing. And she can't go to any of those colleges she got into. So that line, I'm sorry, Buffy, this conversation is reserved for the those who actually have a future. Now has so much more to it. It isn't Cordelia being more Cordelia than usual, which I think Willow comments on. It is Cordelia commenting on herself, her lack of future, and putting down all those colleges Willow gets into wasn't just her being mean to Willow. It was her trying to convince herself that, oh, she wouldn't want to go to any of these universities anyway. Faith using the bow and arrow to kill the man with the box of gavrock. We see how good her aim is. She just, he's dead. And this foreshadows her shooting Angel in Graduation Day, part one. She's with a vampire then, and he says something to her like, missed, and she says, meant to, because she doesn't kill Angel. And this, in a small way, it sets that up. We believe that Faith could have shot Angel from afar and killed him. The philosophical question of destroy the box and save thousands of lives, perhaps more, save the whole town from being wiped out, not to mention what else the the mayor might do once he ascends versus risking one life, Willow's life. This is a theme we see over and over with Buffy and the choices get harder and harder. Yes, last season she had to kill Angel but in in some ways it was emotionally horrible for her because she loved Angel and then we had that moment where she gets him back and has to kill him anyway but it was clear that she had to kill Angel if she didn't the whole world would have been sucked into hell in the next moment plus Angel brought that about so there aren't the same moral questions In that very moment, here, Willow didn't do anything to bring this about. She's not the one who wanted to take the fight to the mayor. I mean, she was all in on the fight, but it wasn't her idea. And regardless, it wasn't an evil thing to do to try to stop the mayor, unlike Angelus' actions. Also, it's not an immediate thing. Yes, almost certainly Willow will be killed, but... Perhaps there was some way they could trick the mayor. It would be taking a huge risk with Willow's life, but it, it, it's a tougher decision. I think Buffy makes the right decision, the only decision that she can make. But Wesley is not being evil in making his argument, and then we will see it get that much harder in season five when Buffy is faced with the idea that she should actively kill her sister or let her sister be killed to save the world world. So it's one of many times we see this kind of philosophical dilemma. So my one other thought about Willow not leaving City Hall. Yes, I think it is part of her wanting to be part of the larger fight. But it also foreshadows season four when Willow feels like Buffy's sidekick and gets frustrated when her power is not growing fast enough and we see her do some reckless and dangerous things. She doesn't want to be the sidekick who has to get rescued. She wants to contribute in an active and major way to this fight. And finally, Buffy and Angel's conversations, the bookended conversations, foreshadow what will happen in the prom. When Angel makes a choice to break up with Buffy and the mayor's speech foreshadows what Joyce will say, Joyce is saying almost the same thing that the mayor said. She says it out of concern for Buffy. We also see the mayor's comment about Sunday picnics and skulking in shadows and robbing Buffy of her life in Angel's dream that he has, where Marion. Buffy leads not to his death but Buffy's so much foreshadowed there and in that sense we did need this episode we needed to see Buffy and Angel processing these things being confronted directly with these issues otherwise what happens in the prom the decision angel makes and buffy's ultimate acceptance of it would not be believable that is it thank you again for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the podcast and show they want it to continue i hope you will all join me next monday for the prom where buffy saves the day and gets a toy surprise Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.